Hi, I'm Catherine Meehan Blunt, and uh, Leslie Gift and I actually met um, recently, although I have followed her um, uh, podcasts and, and her followed her on Facebook for some time now. Um, recently, there was an article that she shared about uh, John Wilson. He was a white man trying to save his family, um, who was black, and uh, was almost captured trying to, to escape with them. True that accompanied that story was one of my grandparents, Charles and Hester Meehan, and a cousin of mine happened to see it and um, contacted me, and I communicated with Ms. Guest, and um, here we are today. It's interesting. My childhood um, is actually where I started uh, gaining an interest in family history and genealogy. As a young child, my father had a library in our home, and I would creeped down to the library. I was not quite five years old at that time. And in addition to all of the wonderful books, he had lots and lots of family pictures. The one that stood out in my mind most was one of my great-great-grandfather, the um, grandfather of Hester Freeman Meehan, my grandmother, who's in the picture uh, that we were discussing earlier. Um, it was a glorious picture, but he also had a family album, the old velvet type that included both regular pic and tin types. And I was kind of a geeky kid, so I would sit around and, and uh, just kind of grill my dad on who this person was or who that person was. And over the years, one thing led to another. As my uh, parents both passed on, I realized I was left with... Um, just hundreds of pictures and documents uh, about their past, uh, going back several generations. And I began to try to preserve the material that I had. The Elgin Settlement um, is actually today called North Buxton. And North Buxton is very much alive and well um, as a matter of fact, this weekend they are actually celebrating their 95th homecoming. It's a weekend-long um, activity that's been taking place for many years, 95 years at this point, um, where people who descend from the original settlers of the Elgin Settlement um, or North Buxton return there and they picnic and have parades and all kinds of activities. It's, it's um, like a fair um, or a huge family reunion, if you will. So the community is there. There is a historic site there and a museum, and um, it's a wonderful place to visit. It's only about 40 miles or so from Windsor, um, just across the border from Detroit. And, and so, um, yes, it, it's an amazing place to visit. I'm a strong believer in people being part of a continuum. I don't stand uh, on this earth alone. I stand with all my ancestors behind me. I carry their blood. I carry their genes. Uh, there's a belief that we carry their emotions, their quirks. 
young folks who were two and three generations further removed from my grandparents than I am knew nothing about their history. And I, I think that as we understand our, our past and our ancestors, we gain a, a uh, not just a better understanding of ourselves, but it's an encouragement to who we are and what we can do, what we can accomplish in life. So um, I'm hoping that um, um, others will pick up the baton, and I'm, I'm encouraged that, to see so many other family historians in various ways carrying the story forward as well. Well, my grand, grandparents moved to Nebraska in 1885, but I'm going to back the story up just a little bit and say that um, they were friends and probably what one would would call childhood sweethearts. They married in 1875 when they were both 19 years old. Um, they continued to live in that community, and their first four children were actually born in Canada. In 1885, they went to Nebraska, and... I have speculated as to why they went. The reason I've done some speculation is because their marriage was deemed legal in Canada. There was no uh, prohibition against interracial marriage in Canada. In Nebraska, uh, interracial marriages were illegal, I believe, until about 1965 or 1967. And... In 1885, either of my grandparents or both of them um, could have been arrested, could have been fined. There could have been all kinds of repercussions for this interracial couple um, living uh, in, in Nebraska. What I find interesting, though, is that at the time they went to Canada, or went to Nebraska, and I'll address why they specifically went in a minute, there were several families from that Elgin community um, who were also making their way to Nebraska. Initially, these uh, Canadian, I'll call them homesteaders, because they went down to Nebraska under the homestead, many of them under the homestead um, uh, act to uh, actually acquire land. But um, several of them started going to Nebraska about 1879 or 1880. Um, my grandparents, actually, as I mentioned, didn't go until 1885. Apparently, there was an incident in, that happened in Canada when my grandfather, at one some point, was uh, ill, could not go to his job and pick up a paycheck, and he asked my grandmother to go. Uh, and and actually acquire his check. And she was in some manner molested. I don't uh -huh. know if it was physically or if it was verbally, but it was enough so that my grandfather said, enough is enough, we're leaving here. Now, I find it interesting that they would choose Nebraska to go to uh, again, because their marriage would not have been deemed legal in Nebraska. My assumption is the reason they chose Nebraska is because 
these other families were also going. And one thing I've learned about this community that came from uh, Canada into Nebraska is it was a very tight-knit community. One of the members of that community was the informant um, when the oldest of my uncles was born in Canada. Another was the informant when my grandfather's mother died in Canada. And you find that kind of relationship among all of these families. Some of the family names um, of, uh, who went to Nebraska from Canada were Brown. There was William Crawford family, the Joshua Emanuel family, the Hatter and uh, Rand and Riley family, the William Walker family, and the Giles and Robinson families, just to name a few. Um, and, uh, mm -hmm. How on earth did you learn all of these names? A lot of them I grew up with. These were names that I was hearing when I was looking at all those pictures when I was four and five years old. My dad okay. took lots and lots of pictures, so these people were in many of those pictures. Okay. And I will also say that, yes, uh-huh. Um, do you have any personal recollections of interacting with these? You know, how did how did the pictures in your life all converge? Um, I did not interact with any of the folks who were in Nebraska at the time my dad was there. My father was actually born and, and raised in Nebraska. Most of these original homesteaders, were gone long before I was born. But I have had interaction um, even today with descendants of these, these folks. So um, the families do continue to uh, be in touch with one another, to communicate with one another. So um, are, there any, are there any books or any, did you find your story anywhere on any public domain outside of my social media page where they're talking about these homesteaders and, you know, and did you see these names anywhere else? The story of the Nebraska homesteaders, the black homesteaders, has recently been told by um, Nebraska Educational TV, NET, done a wonderful, a couple of wonderful stories. One of the reasons that the story has been highlighted recently is author Stu McNelson, who, has, who was born in uh, Nebraska and written a series of books about Highway 83, um, contacted me back in 2015 and said that he had an idea that the DeWitty, which is the town in Cherry County, Nebraska, that these homesteaders settled, that he wanted to work toward having a historic landmark uh, placed on Highway 83 for the town of DeWitty uh, and the black homesteaders. I worked with him and with the Nebraska State Historical Society and along with several other descendants of, of um, DeWitty black homesteaders, and we raised um, $5,200 to actually erect a, um, a historic road marker, which was actually set in place in April of 2016. 
So um, at that time, there was a lot of activity, and there were several news stories about the DeWitty community. Um, okay. What a lot of people don't know, now, DeWitty was considered the most prominent and longest-lasting black community in Nebraska, but there was another black community in Bliss, Nebraska, um, which I believe lasted 10 or 15 years. So um, there were other other black communities in Nebraska, in Wyoming, um, that um, have recently come to come to light or been exposed to had a larger exposure. Okay, right now tell us about this community. Um, do you know who who led this uh, homestead uh, settlement? Um, is there any stories? What did they have? Did they have, um, were they near the water? What was the industry like? Uh, you know, how did they survive so long? What did they live off? Did they live off the land? Did they, uh, you know, some settlers are known for uh, building, being carpenters, having some kind of, you know, skills, uh, skill set? Right. The communities in Nebraska were interesting, and there were two that this group of homesteaders were associated with. They initially went to um, Overton in Dawson County, Nebraska, but they became part of that community. They did not establish a separate community. When they first arrived there, they did what almost every other homesteader did, regardless of race. They lived in dugouts, and they lived in sod houses. Uh, my father was actually born in a sod house. Um, they were primarily farmers, this particular group of, of uh, homesteaders. But uh, once they moved to Cherry County, Nebraska, which is up near Valentine in the northern part of the state, um, they settled in what's called the Sand Hills of Nebraska. And again, these were farmers, and they were attempting to farm land that really wasn't, was not suited for that purpose. Um, it's really cattle land, as I understand. I've only been there once in my lifetime. It's a beautiful landscape. But um, these folks had a hard time farming land, and the end of the community uh, and the settlement at DeWitty um, in Cherry County came at the time of the dust bowls and, and whatnot that destroyed so many um, farmers and, and lives during that period in history, the late 20s, 1920s, into the early 1930s. But um, so these folks were primarily farmers and ranchers um, one was a barber, but that was done in addition to farming land. So the primary industry was farming. Um, what I find interesting, though, is that in addition to farming, one of the primary things that these black homesteaders were concerned about and spent their time at was making sure their children were educated. One of the reasons I believe that the um, DeWitty settlement specifically was as successful as it was at that time um, were two reasons. Number one, 
the people who came to that settlement or the core group of people in that settlement, i.e. the Canadian, Canadians, were already a community. They were already friends with one another. They had already established how they should work together. So that was an advantage for them. Um, they were also highly educated uh, by the norms of the day. Uh, education was very important in the Elgin settlement in Canada that they came from. So most of them could read, they could write, and they placed an emphasis on their children being educated. So when the farms began to fail and ranching wasn't working out, they began to move to places like Alliance in Box Butte, Nebraska, and on to cities like Omaha or Chicago or Denver, and they became attorneys and school teachers and doctors and lawyers. So um, while they set out to farm land, they provided a future with that for their children that has just been extensive. The town of DeWitty was was a uh, farming community. So there was a post office, a small post office, um, and actually Mr. DeWitty, I believe his first name was Miles DeWitty, was the first postmaster. He donated land to set up a post office. Um, there was a barber shop. There was a little general store, but I believe the general store was in the neighboring community which was primarily a white community of Brownlee. Um, but it, it's interesting, the relationship between the, the community of Brownlee and of DeWitty was just phenomenal. It was then, and it continues to be today. One of my cousins, older cousins, um, who was probably a good 40 or 50 years older than me, who spent her, her growing up years in DeWitty, often wrote that there was, she never found any discrimination against blacks in that community. And I'd raise my eyebrow. <laughs> but it's interesting in 2016 when uh, so many of us descendants returned to DeWitty for the road marker, the residents of Brownlee actually hosted, hosted us they hosted a dinner, and the interaction was simply amazing, especially after all of these years of the families having been gone. I believe the last family probably left DeWitty in the mid-1930s or so. Um, uh -huh. The story says that Joseph Anderson um, escaped from a ship in Charleston Harbor in 1821 when the ship caught fire. What was of interest to me, though, is that the story always says, but he was never a slave. They say that when the, when the ship caught fire in Charleston Harbor, he was able to jump ship. He was picked up by a British ship. He changed his name to the name of the British sailor specifically who helped him, and he went to Canada. End of story. What I have found is actually is that that's actually an outline of his story. And I was fascinated to learn about the sailing history 
of so many of our ancestors, um, especially along the eastern seaboard. I have made an assumption, and this is what I'm working from, though it may not be true, that he was probably a free person of color who was a sailor, but conditions were extremely difficult for all sailors at that time, and specifically for black sailors. A lot of times they'd get into harbor in certain cities, and they were not allowed to leave the ship to walk around. Um, I tried for years to verify the story and was actually rewarded several years ago um, with a story that uh, it, from Genealogy Bank is where I found it, um, about an actual fire in Charleston Harbor, Harbor in April of 1821, which is the year that supposedly my great-great-grandfather jumped ship. So um, he actually did not go immediately to Canada. He went to, to Baltimore and then on into Canada by 1843. So it's a story that I love to tell because it's the story that has endured time through the family. Wow. Well, that, that book sounds interesting. Your book sounds interesting. That story is fascinating. And I just want to thank you for, um, you know, taking the time out of your busy schedule this holiday weekend and throughout the um, Aretha Franklin tribute uh, to talk to us for this short time. Um, is there any way um, we can contact you if we want to learn more about your book and follow you on social media? And do you have any parting words? Oh, well, first of all, thank you for, for having me. Um, on your program. I truly appreciate it. And once again, I want to say to you how much I've enjoyed following you. We can be a mutual admiration society here. Um, I am on Facebook, Catherine Meehan Blunt. Uh, folks can find me there. Um, if someone sends a friend request, I, I generally just appreciate a quick message saying, um, I heard you at thus and such a place, and I'd like to, to follow you. Or you can simply follow me. Um, I believe Facebook does allow that. Um, I can be contacted um, by email at bluntc at verizon.net, and that's frequently the easiest way to get me for folks who um, want um, additional contact. Well, all right. So for the audience, please give us the title of your um, upcoming book. Okay. The upcoming book, uh, the book I'm working on right now is Those Audacious Meehands, The Making of a Love Story, and it should be available mid-2019, and I'll be posting updates on to my Facebook page. Well, thank you so much, Ms. Blunt. I mean, this has been a wonderful connection. I hope that we stay in touch. Um, I, asked, I did ask you to be a part of my uh, newsletter team, and I hope you will accept. And let's make sure we remain in touch on Facebook and otherwise. Oh, we definitely will. Thank you so much. All right. Have a good night and enjoy the holiday weekend. Oh, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When we take care of our own hearts, we're also taking care of the people closest to us. 
So it's comforting to know that RWJ Barnabas Health has New Jersey's most comprehensive cardiac care program with access to top specialists, minimally invasive heart surgery options, and rehabilitation and wellness programs. So get your heart checked. It's as easy as visiting rwjbh.org slash heart. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.